That countdown music will always get me hype. What it is, Command This Nation. Uh, you know, we're about to talk to a gentleman named Taylor from It's Always Sunny in Kansas City. And you know what? Here lately, it's been very sunny in Kansas City, as we've seen with their Lombardi trophies and all this winning they've been doing. Now that we have Eric Bieniemy, will it be always sunny in D.C.? Mm. We're going to find out here real soon. Coming up next. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thank you for joining us today. Tonight, it is February 27th, Monday, Monday live stream. We've done a lot of pre-recorded videos the last few weeks. We're back on our Monday live stream, also doing it Thursday. That was Phil on the intro. I'm your boy, Steve. We got Dev down here with us. And without further ado, let's welcome our boy, Taylor Witt from It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom podcast. Taylor, thank you for joining us, man. Thank you uh, for Taking the time every day to sit down and talk with us. Glad to be here, man. Uh, it's uh, oh, nice applause. I love it. I love it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's easy for uh, Chiefs fans right now to talk ball. Anybody that wants to uh, bring anybody on that's a Chiefs fan, you know, we're all excited to do it. So I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's you know, winning. It's like what's like, consistently winning. Nothing what's, better. There's literally nothing like. Better. Yeah, <laughs> we don't really know what that's like here in in in, in DC yet. Hopefully soon, but. As we do with all of our guests that come on the show, regardless of what team they're from, who they root for, rival, friend, foe, uh, we want to know, how did you become a fan? So what's your fan story and how did you get connected to the Kansas City Chiefs? As easy as it gets. Born in Kansas City, family's obsessed with the Chiefs, been watching them since my eyeballs could open. So, um, you know, I've been, uh, been a Chiefs fan my whole life. I'm 36 and I started off, you know, early 90s was uh, Montana days and Koye and all the fun, um, you know, early '90s Chiefs. And other than Montana, we never really had a quarterback until our guy now. But um, it was still a lot of defense, a lot of running the ball, a lot of hard nosed football. Um, had some pretty fun years, but nothing quite like the recent run for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. And and truth and lending. Growing up, same way. I'm I'm 42, and I'm a Tech Mobile guy. Growing up, and the Chiefs were always my AFC team, and it was. It was, you know, a little bit of Joe Montana, but Christian Okoye, the Nigerian nightmare, was the one who really hooked me into becoming a Chiefs. Well, they were like my other team. I was still a diehard Redskins fan. But, you know, Deron Cherry, Derek Thomas, there's just Marcus Allen. Page. Yeah, there was just – there's been a lot of good people come through Kansas City. Barry Ward. Barry (laughs) Ward. Yeah. He was number 23. The Bird. It's funny. It's funny because I've actually had random interactions online with JJ Burden of all nice. people on yeah. in YouTube Burden. comment. Good deal. Um to yeah. Merrick Vanover. Yeah, Vanover, man. He was uh he was electric as a returner. Dante you know? Hall. Yeah, well, and he the best was juke move I ever saw in my life. <laughs> at Denver. Denver. Yeah. Oh my god. Unbelievable. Man. I mean, oh just looked like a video game out there. He was yeah, uh, it's, it's, it still t- stands to this day. Human joystick. Juke. He was he yeah, was electric. I've ever seen. Absolutely. Yeah. We've had some fun players, um, you know, obviously notably Jamal Charles, who's one of yeah. the most electric running backs of all time. Eric Bieniemy was his coach. Uh, so, I mean, definitely 
have had some good running back success even before Jamal with Priest Holmes and Larry Johnson. And it's never been the quarterback until 15 came along. But the other guys were all, you know, they had all pros all over the place. But until you get the right quarterback, it just doesn't seem to work very often. And we also right. share Marty. Also share Marty. Absolutely share Alex Smith. Um, you know, got a couple ties between the two teams. Um, obviously, we were super rooting for Alex. Big, great guy. Uh, unfortunate what happened with his leg, but um, you know, big fan of the man for sure. I mean, technically speaking, we share Larry Johnson too, but we don't want to ah, talk about that. Yeah, yeah, that is true. <laughs> yeah, we share him and all of his crazy beliefs, and uh, maybe scored a little bit more often for us than he did for you guys. But uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I secretly think that uh, Patrick Mahomes will be a commander in about Ooh. 15 years because Andy sure. Reid just tends to fleece us with these. First, it was McNabb. Then it was Alex oh, yeah. Smith. And, and hopefully, you know, I'm going to buy my Mahomes jersey in a few, maybe next year, <laughs> pre-staging. Into existence. Yeah, yeah. Because Andy Reid will give us a quarterback in probably another 10 to 15 years. But, you know, what's probably going to happen is he's going to groom some backup quarterback that, you know, who's <sighs> never going to see the field because of Mahomes, but then he'll probably flip him to you guys. But, uh, you know, Andy Reid's – He's a quarterback whisperer. He's gotten a lot out of the quarterbacks now when he sends them away. Maybe they're not quite as good because they don't have Andy there, but he uh, he definitely – the stock goes up if you're a quarterback under Andy, that's for sure. Yeah, straight up. Um, so first and foremost, we do want to congratulate you for your Super Bowl victory. Thank you, uh, you know, it was a very close game. We are, we're glad that you beat the Eagles 38-35. to Yeah, correct. for you, pulling for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so – just share your thoughts with us with that game real quick. You were playing one of our division rivals in the NFC East. They were, you know, we were the one of the lone teams to beat them. Right. Uh, mid-season with, with yeah, Taylor the Heineke only team to beat Jalen Hurts. I mean, yeah. yeah, that was a. I remember that Monday night game. That was uh, or was it Thursday? I know it was prime time. I think it was Monday. Monday it was a Monday nighter. Right. And uh, you know, the Eagles as. Everybody knows for nasty football team had all pros all over the place, had a quarterback that was playing as good as anyone outside of Arrowhead Stadium, um, really had a dynamic team. And I think the connection with Andy and the Eagles, the connection with the Kelsey brothers, there was a lot of stuff that kind of made our two fan bases get along before the Super Bowl even played. We were kind of on the same on the same page with them. Um, so I didn't really have this like hatred or animosity that I would have had towards the Tampa Bay Bucks two years ago, or even the 49ers, which the chiefs don't really have much of a history with, but still, I really, really wanted to beat them really bad the first time. And this one, I obviously wanted the game super badly, but I didn't feel it against the Eagles as much. Um, my, my thoughts going into the game, I'll tell you having that one super bowl. And I know the chiefs have two in their history, but the first one was in 69. So having this, having the one in 2019 already in the bag, Sure takes a lot of pressure off of off of that game. And the Eagles had one in 17 as well. So I know I talked to some Eagles fans about this too. And, you know, everyone was pretty good vibes going into the game. It was it was all kind of, you know, let's see who the best team is. And Vegas had the Eagles. Uh, they were they were stacked on the defensive line, stacked on the offensive line. Really, really great football team. And I just thought if the Chiefs don't get steamrolled, if they can go out there and hang with them, obviously I like our chances then at the end. Uh, so I was just hoping to keep them – within arm's reach and it looked like for a bit that that was not going to happen but fortunately they halftime uh, boss right out of hurt's hands man that's what ended for him yeah that's right that uh that drive there um you know a defensive score when you're already down seven and they've got the ball massive massive change of momentum there um so that was by the way clearly, that was a face mask by the way uh face mask on who which one on the, on on kansas city whatever hurts from with that ball for the touchdown face mask they got him in the face mask? I didn't watch, even see that. Watch the, watch the play. It's I crazy. 
But hey, I'm glad it happened. Yeah. It's yeah. funny because the same thing worked for us when we beat the Eagles. Uh, yes. Got a face mask that wasn't called. That's right on a on a defensive touchdown, right? Like or it was we got, we got the ball like deep in their territory. Yeah, and um, it just fell right thing. out of his hand too. That's what's crazy. Like it just fell straight out of his hand and do had his whole face mask. It was yeah. right around the time, right before the game, is when all the the script stuff started script coming writers, out. And of course, <laughs> and you know, Arian Foster. Mahomes, yeah. yeah, the conspiracy theorist. Mahomes, and you know, he was sarcastic during that bit, but people they, took it. And you know, ran they with clipped it. it when he wasn't being oh. sarcastic. He didn't laugh. You know, he didn't laugh after the clip like it, like he did on the show. So, and yeah, then there this, was just a series of tweets from NFL players saying, "When I saw the script yes, for this year yes. or that year, they were, it when was I got hilarious. hurt, when I got, oh yeah, yeah that was yeah. one of the better Twitter well, interactions." Mahomes the in the game, yeah. it was uh the Bengals game where he was that with the game he really rolled his ankle really bad uh the Jags game the week I'm sorry the, the Jacksonville the, game yeah yeah the, the division then, round the first quarter of the first playoff game in a year that the Chiefs won the Super Bowl their MVP quarterback gets a high ankle sprain in the first quarter and I mean yep. you know we were just hoping and praying that it wasn't going to knock him out of the playoffs and while it didn't knock him out of the games other than one drive it certainly hindered him and he was moving around on that first drive and looked as locked in as we've ever seen him. And then after that ankle sprain, he was just gutting through it. But, uh, you know, winners yeah. win. He found a way. Yep. Uh, real quick, just want to say what's up to Marcus Edlin. Thank you for joining us, Marcus. Uh, what's up, Marcus? Go check out Sports View 2 on Facebook. That's his sports group. Always supporting, always showing love. What's up, Marcus? Thank you for joining us. Hardest working man in showbiz. That's right. That's right. And I will say that I think it was the Bengals game. He was still kind of little, little tender. Oh yeah. The oh yeah. Last he was hobbling scramble around of the mm-hmm. game. He looked like he had zero issues with that ankle. Sure. And I was like, it's the script, <laughs> it's the script, you know, yeah. but he, he looked good. And you know, we, we're, we are yearning for that here in DC. If you've seen the running joke about the number of quarterbacks we've dealt with over the last, you know, 30, 30 plus years since our last sure. Super Bowl in 91, there's people make jerseys of, it and it's just right. You know, Not we, quite the Browns level, but pretty close. I mean, yeah, you're getting up there. Pretty darn, <laughs> pretty darn close. Went through what five in one year. Jay Gruden's last year, I think. Four. Right. But uh, we're here to talk to you about Eric Bieniemy, your former offensive coordinator, our new offensive coordinator and assistant head coach. And so we're just trying to get a sense of what was life like pre Eric Bieniemy on the Chiefs, and then what was life like for for you guys and for the team. After he arrived, because I know he's been with Andy Reid for a long time. Since 13, since there. Andy got yeah. to Kansas City. I mean, yeah. Okay. So so the very first year Andy got here. So they he came hired, together. He hired Biennemi off of Colorado, who he had gone back to. You know, he obviously played at Colorado and then um, went back there to coach. And Andy's first coaching um, group that after he got to Kansas City, he wanted Biennemi as his running backs coach. So that's where that's when Eric Biennemi got here. Um Before then, obviously, the Chiefs had had some running back success, as I talked about with Priest Holmes, Larry Johnson, some of those guys, um, Okoye even going back. But Biennemi is a is a big culture guy, really, really big on accountability and on finishing plays and finishing practice, finishing drives. Every mic'd up you've ever heard from him, every press conference, he's always preaching kind of the same core principles. He even said them, most of them in the opening pressers with Washington. Just a really, really focused focused individual as I mean, more than probably any other coach I've seen, even including Andy Reid, just really locked in really businesslike. Um, the five years that he was the running backs coach featured heavily with Jamal Charles and Jamal is one of the most electrifying NFL players there's ever been. He could hit a home run at any moment. He was a track guy at Texas and the enemy really kind of honed in his more like running back 
skill type of thing. You know, Jamal was always fast, but to be an NFL running back, you've got to have the vision. You've got to have power. You've got to be, you know, a lot of the stuff that made Jamal successful, um, he credited directly with EB and with just the coaching that he got uh, once he got to Kansas City. And so that was a that was probably Eric's biggest impact before he became the head or the offensive coordinator in 18. And then the Chiefs obviously drafted Mahomes in 17, had the last year with Alex Smith, and then moved on and installed Mahomes um, into the offense in 18. And along with him, uh, Matt Nagy and Doug Peterson had both recently gotten head coaching jobs as the Chiefs offensive coordinator the previous couple years with Alex Smith. And so Eric Bieniemy, who had been the running backs coach for five years, was elevated within the coaching staff and became the offensive coordinator. And the Chiefs immediately went out and Mahomes threw 50 touchdowns and won MVP and was a you know breakout star in the NFL. And that was Bieniemy's first year as a head or as an offensive coordinator. And from there, the Chiefs just never really let up on offense. They they struggled at times on defense and they struggled with some other random things as every NFL team does. But the one consistency with the last five years under Mahomes and Andy Reid has also been Eric Bieniemy and the offense. And so life after Eric Bieniemy took over is really hard to extrude for us from Mahomes' life because that's the same five years. And so there have clearly been um, – you know, the Chiefs have one of the most prolific offenses in NFL history over the last five years. Right. And EB's got his fingerprints all over that. Now, we had some questions while he was here because the Chiefs were a little vague about exact roles and exact game game day decision making and and play calling and that type of stuff. It usually seemed like Andy would take the bullet if something went wrong and say he was calling plays. And then if things were going well, he would say, well, that was all that was all the coaching staff and all EB. And I think that's mostly Andy just being a good leader. But as as fans that wanted accountability when things went wrong and wanted to know kind of what was going on behind the scenes, it was really hard for us to get a clear picture of responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And I think if I were to guess that led somewhat to the lack of coaching opportunities, head coaching opportunities for Eric over the last couple of years, um, other than the overt you know, racist stuff that's been going out with, uh, you know, black head coaches. And, and, you know, you look at the coordinators that have been to the Super Bowl since BNME came here in 18. You've got Zach Taylor, Josh McDaniels, Kevin O'Connell, Shane Steichen, all white guys, all got head coaching jobs. Right. You've got Brian Callahan, who, even though he didn't get a, a coaching job, he was two finalists for Arizona and Indianapolis this year. He was just last year with uh, Cincinnati. And the only guy that's been a coordinator in a Super Bowl since then that hasn't gotten a head coaching job besides for EB is Byron Leftwich, another black guy. So, no. you know, I mean, the NFL is definitely uh, the ownership group is a tight knit group of uh, guys that are billionaires and make their decisions how they can. But um, certainly I think that has had something to do with it. But the other element to it is just just the lack of understanding of what Eric was up to calling plays. Right. So piggybacking off of that, and it's funny because uh, for all the, the all the things that have gone on in, in this franchise, we probably have the most Neapolitan coaching staff out there. Absolutely. Uh, with, you know, having a, a Latino head coach, a black offensive coordinator. And I love Ron, guy. by the way. Big, big fan of Ron. Love okay. everything he's done. Um, he's an Andy Reid guy as well, so I've been rooting for him since his Carolina days, so big fan. Yeah, and then we have a, a white guy named Del Rio as our defensive, cor- as sure. defensive coordinator. Sure, we're not sure on him. No, but, uh, nobody is. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, I, there's 
this weird thing where it's apparently Bienemy is a love him or hate him with players. How true is that? Just you know, rumor and conjecture, or is it a case of you know he really does you know because he's a hard coach. Some guys love him and some guys hate him. I mean, is it really that way, or is that that just got overblown? So I paid quite a bit of attention to that. Um, there's one guy that I could point to that has spoken poorly of Eric Bieniemy. Shady, Shady McCoy, absolutely. Yep. And and he obviously has his platform on Speak and came out last week or whenever it was. Yeah. And, um, you know, said that said some stuff about EB that frankly, every chiefs player that saw that, that I saw quote, tweet it, disagreed with him just flat out from guys like Jamal Charles and Tyreek Hill to, I mean, your, your backups and guys that, you know, doesn't really, they don't have a huge platform or anything, but I just saw over and over again. Nah, that's not true. Sorry, shady. You're wrong about this. Just tons of quote tweets, tons of, tons of chiefs players that came to EB's defense Mahomes has obviously been a huge EB proponent, um, both, you know, publicly with his comments and just very, their relationship was interesting because they, they jawed each other. They get into some sideline stuff. EB once famously called Mahomes a competitive prick in one like preseason interview. But like at the end of the day, when you ask them both about their relationship with each other, it was, it was great. It was fantastic. They just said that he pushes me. He's competitive. When we're yelling at each other on the sideline, we both know that it's just out of love and a desire to win and stuff like that. So point being, I haven't seen anybody outside of shady have anything negative to say about their time playing with Eric B enemy. Um, but the one note of Shady's criticism was he complained that Bienemy would yell at everyone, even the stars, like Travis Kelsey. And clearly, Shady, by the time he got to Kansas City, considered himself a star. And I don't think he liked getting yelled at. And you know, I mean, that's that's kind of a that's kind of a soft mentality, and that's kind of something that I don't think many people are sympathetic with him for feeling like that. But no, I'm uh, I'm not a believer at all that. Be enemy is a love him or hate him guy. I think he's a love him guy. That's that culture thing that you're talking about. You know, no one's 100%. above no one's above the law, right? No. Everyone's treated equal under coach's eyes, and yeah, got to stay accountable. Yeah, yeah. And I was listening to you guys had a your I would say it was not last podcast, but the previous podcast. You t- you talked about Eric Bieniemy in depth in detail coming over to the to Washington, uh, and I don't know if you guys got to catch all of his introductory presser he had. I watched it. In, in the comments afterwards, you know, Terry McLaurin, he's our top wide receiver, Love top dog. Scary Terry. You know, he was like, yeah. hey, coach, I don't mind being coached hard. You can coach me hard. You know, we need that. And then, and then Eric Bienna was like, yeah, we, we just need y'all to, to get a little more nasty. Mm-hmm. So we're hoping that's the kind of the stuff he can bring, you know, to to our team. Go ahead. He's got an answer. attitude. He absolutely does. He has a competitive attitude. Um, he it doesn't let guys get away with stuff and it doesn't mean that he is not, you know, that they don't love him and they don't, you know, love working for him and stuff like that, but it's a war out there and you've got to have accountability and you've got to have somebody, even if it's not the head coach, you have to have some voice in the room that keeps guys honest and keeps them focused. And, and when things are bad, which they have, the chiefs have been down famously quite a number of times, especially in the playoffs, they've had four double digit, comebacks in the playoffs under Mahomes and I mean each one of those I always obsessively watch the mic'd ups and all the you know the sideline stuff and and EB is the constant voice of positivity and I mean I just I really have nothing but glowing reviews of his time in Kansas City and I I think we're really gonna miss him that's awesome hey Cody Jones from Facebook thanks for joining us my boy has finally caught y'all live got a one and a half hour drive home take me home I don't think we'll be going that long but Cody thanks for tuning in go ahead Phil who who knows 
But anyway, um, so to kind of go back, you were talking about that it was very vague as to how involved the enemy was with, you know, play calling and things like that. You have been able to see the difference between the pre the enemy offense Andy Reid was running, and then when the enemy. How much of a shift was there? What is is Bienemy bringing his offense, or or is it, or is this going to be law? Is this going to be, you know, somewhat of an Andy Reid philosophy? But Bienemy's got his fingerprints all over it, so it's changed. Or is this a case of he's or Andy Reid guy? He's going to bring Andy Reid's offense here, or as opposed to he's going to you think he's going to install his own offense that probably has a lot of the principles that he developed in Kansas city as not coordinator. It's a fascinating question. And I, I think that my gut feeling tells me that he was so successful uh, for the last five years running, you know, an Andy West coast system that I, I mean, he almost couldn't help, but bringing a lot of that over just because that's been his bread and butter. But at the same time, you know, he's, he's not afraid to voice his, his mind and he's got his own ideas about offense. And he frankly has a different, set of offensive players in Washington than he had in Kansas city. And so adaptability is something that we've certainly seen from the Reed coaching staff, including EB in his time here. Um, you know, the, the offense under Alex Smith had to be different than it was um, later under Patrick Mahomes, just with the skill set differences there. And I, you know, one thing I always point to is when the chiefs drafted Tyreek Hill, they understood that they had a burner unlike anybody else had in the NFL and they hadn't really been going deep very often and they immediately started throwing rainbows with Alex Smith. And I mean, it was a, it was a slap in the face immediately. Like, Oh, this is like, this offense is completely different, but it was different because they had different personnel and, and they were smart enough to use that new personnel in ways that maximize their success. So I think if I were to guess that EB is going to go in and he's going to bring a set of concepts that he knows works basically our, our personnel proof and that they're more of, of concepts of getting guys open in space and, and that type of like Andy Reed footprint for uh, an offense. But then I don't think he's afraid to modify some things and look at skill sets. Like McLaurin's a guy that the chiefs certainly haven't had in EB's time. Um, As a coach should do. It's not a cookie cutter solution. You absolutely. have to tweak your and, system to fit your player's strengths. We don't get that a lot around here. Well, and a lot of NFL teams, frankly, don't it's, it's a, it's a skill by coaches that, you know, Andy Reid's teams have lucky have been lucky enough, the Eagles and the Chiefs, that he understood changing his offense to fit his players. And every time he ran an offense, he wouldn't put guys in in positions not to succeed. That was always his hallmark. And I mean, I obviously don't know all the conversations that happened between EB and Coach Reid, but if I were to guess at the number one takeaway, you know, the the adaptability and versatility has got to be right up there. So, uh, yeah, I think that. Um, we're all in Chiefs Kingdom. We're all excited to see what kind of offense EB runs. And we are all, frankly, very much rooting for his success because we want to be proven that, you know, Chiefs fans clamoring have been clamoring for him to get a job. And you don't see that a lot with fan bases with a, a coordinator that they like wanting them to get a shot somewhere else. But it was, frankly, it was about, I mean, it was way beyond time. If you look at the coordinators that have gotten head coaching positions and their their resumes, I mean, EB would have two Super Bowl wins and the highest scoring offense over a five-year period in NFL history already on his resume going to another job. So, I mean, that would be 
far and away, you know, the most accomplished offensive coordinator that hasn't been a head coach yet. So we've all been rooting. So, uh, and one last question, kind of uh, to piggyback off of all that too. So, Coach Ron, now he may be smoke screening us. Uh, he wants a ball control offense. He really wants to grind it out. Now, I don't think the Chiefs ever had a one-two punch in their backfield like a Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson. No. So it's hard to say, but you know, and EB is a former running back, and and you know, he was a he was a small guy, but he was a real between the tackles bowling ball. kind of runner too. He was a mm-hmm. little bowling ball. Mm-hmm. Um so I guess the question is, have you seen anything out of uh Bien-Ami's play calling and play design that makes you think that yeah he could adapt to a ball control offense pretty easily i think he wants to certainly um i think andy both his his offensive style and his personnel have maybe not made that the easiest over the years over the 10 years that eb's been here to be a ball control offense that's really hasn't been the Chiefs' style but you hear it in his voice you hear it in the comments he makes you hear it when you know if the chiefs would end the game and rushed for 160 yards at seven yards a clip and they would say you know what worked well for you you know he would be on the moon and he would be talking about how like you know well we ran the ball duh like when you when you run the ball well you win games like he he very much is a proponent of running the ball and if you have that type of gibson and and robinson combination there that you have the horses in the backfield that can do it and you combine that with not having a mega superstar quarterback i mean i think Washington would be fools not to try and implement a run heavy offense, at least in the first little bit to kind of give Howell, uh, you know, kind of some, some breaks in there and not throw everything at him right away and ride those running backs. They're both really, really good. And yeah, so I do think that EB wants it. Um, and I would, I'd be surprised if he goes in there throwing the ball all over the yard. Right. And welcome Greg Delaney from Facebook. Our boy, Greg, he says, Washington needs a tight end for Eric for Eric Bieniemy and Sam Howell, kind of alluding to what you were talking about, and that's my next point, is we don't have the, the exact model as Kansas City has. With, Ain't nobody does, but yes, you're <laughs> we right. We don't have an all-pro in Travis Kelsey. Uh, we have some talent. They're battling some injuries. We don't know what our tight end room looks like. We had Logan Thomas, but once he tore his ACL, he hasn't been the same. We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. But are the tight ends – well, with Kelsey, clearly he's a huge part of this offense. So I don't mm-hmm. – I'm trying to struggle and figure out how are we going to – what are we going to do with the lack of that? Yeah, right. sure. I, think, I, think, I think we make up for it in other ways. I think we're, I think we're better at running back. I think we're better at receiver. Yeah. I think, I think we're deeper at running back and receiver. Uh, yeah, you know. I, uh, the, I would think we Chiefs, need to get better on the line, obviously. Yeah, yeah the Chiefs, um, the adaptability is a reason that, ty- that Travis Kelsey was the number one target in the offense because he was the best player they had. And so – if the Chiefs, instead of trading away Tyreek Hill last year, if they had traded away Travis Kelsey, God forbid, but if they had done it, I mean, I think they would have adapted their offense instead of being a three tight end heavy. You know, they ran tight ends all over, not just Kelsey, but their second and third tight ends this year got a ton of run in the offense as well. And that's just because that's the way their personnel shook out this year. You know, they they signed Juju and they signed MVS and they kind of brought some guys in, but they weren't they they certainly were not to the level that you know, you would want the number one offensive scoring team in the league to have at wide receiver, certainly not like McLaurin. Um, And so I think when EB gets there, you know, some of these play concepts that are designed for Kelsey are wide receiver concepts. Kelsey splits out wide all the time. 
all the time, more than any other tight end in the league. And that's because he has a skill set to do it. And yeah, he reads defenses better than anybody. And he finds soft spots in the zone better than anybody. And he has a connection with Mahomes that's unbelievable. But the concepts are still, uh, you know, lots of rub routes, lots of different stuff that is designed to get guys in space and easy pitch and catch from the, from the quarterback, you know, a lot of people, a lot of haters uh, looked at Mahomes level of um, separation that he threw to wide receivers or to receivers this year. And it was massive. I mean, he, he always had yards and yards of separation between him and his target. And that's not because his wide receivers were burning everybody. That's not because, you know, Juju and MVS and those guys were wide open. It's because the offense was designed to get him the right looks, at the right places that he can throw to somebody that doesn't have anybody around him. And that's the type of design that any offense in the league can implement. If you've got the coaches to do it, you've got the play design, you know, capabilities, you can get, you can scheme guys open. Now, are they going to take it to the house? Are they going to do all the crazy athletic stuff? You know, that's one thing, but getting them the ball is, is something that I think EB is going to be really good at. And I think cracking the code on Ron Rivera, I, I don't think you have to look that far than just look at Andy Reid. So Certainly. Ron Rivera is a loyal guy, but I believe he gets that from Andy Reid. Andy yeah. Reid is a, he is loyal yes, to sometimes, his Sometimes to a fault, but yes, guys. loyal, yes. absolutely. And, and same with yeah. Ron Rivera. So Ron yeah. Rivera came from the Andy Reid tree in 99 when Reid took over the Eagles. Ron Rivera was his I think linebackers coach at the time. Then he got his, then he became a coordinator in Chicago and then on to Carolina. And I believe he's grateful for that start under Andy Reid. And I, Eric Bannon made a comment during the press conference that somebody asked him, when did you know you were going to be the offensive coordinator of the commanders? He was like, well, we've been dealing with a lot of stuff the past two weeks. If you haven't noticed, but right. I, I, I've known for, I kind of known for a hot minute, this is where I was going to go. So that just tells me that him and him and Andy Reid are still close. They're still tight. And he had an interview with, uh, <clears throat> what's the guy from, that used to be Shanahan's buddy in Denver now that, um, that used to know. be Shanahan's buddy. Yeah, he used to be his reporter, and he broke famous by making. You know, what I'm talking about the guy that everybody follows. Oh, McDaniel's or wait, no, oh, ESPN Porter? dude. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, um, Adam Schefter. Yeah, Schefter. Sure, I, I wouldn't Schefter even have thought of him as a, as a buddy with. Uh, <laughs> right. That, that's he had, a, he, had he, was. he had an interview with Schefter today. The uh, enemy where he said, "Hey, you know, he knew before the season that he wasn't going to go back to to Kansas City. Like yeah. he had already had the discussion." Signed that, consecutive one-year deals last year yeah, and the year before. Oh, so maybe we knew this. The the script was in play before. Sure. <laughs> another, right. another funny, yeah. fun, another funny idea to think about though is that everyone had filled their their spots, so to say, for uh, offensive coordinators and, and coaches, right? And Kansas City, he's out of contract. If Washington didn't pick Eric Bieniemy up, where would he have went? Yeah, he would have been a free agent, and there would have been no, nowhere no to job. go. And, you know, maybe somebody sees him on the market and fires their guy or whatever. But you're right. I mean, he, I think, I think had another, Washington Another funny thing out. about it is that Eric Bieniemy, uh, I think, had a long-time friend, the guy that's the GM of um, of the Bears, right? I think they were like either – Ryan Pace. He was a Kansas City or, guy. Yeah, yeah. And he said yeah, that, he that guy, he didn't even give Bieniemy an interview. Yeah. Like, yeah. he didn't even like – and that's why I think a lot of people saw that and was like, wait a minute, this is like his close friend. He didn't even give him an interview. Well, the the interview thing's really interesting because I think he already knew was coming to Washington. He might have, and you know, EB over the years interviewed eighteen times for a head coaching position, and and you know, people would say, "Well, is he not a good interviewer? Um, What what do these owners and front offices 
they bring him in and then is he just the token Rooney rule interview and they they had no intention of hiring him or you know what's the kind of what's the story there he's an um, affirmative action hire <laughs> you know i mean yeah, there's <laughs> people definitely yeah. yeah they come up with all kinds of reasons why you know stuff like this happens and i i mean i hear eric when he does pressers and i think he's incredibly well spoken and smart and and certainly knows his ball and i mean he had some minor stuff go on you know legally back when he was a player in colorado nothing that would concern me at all, but like I, just stuff that people kept saying, well, maybe it's his past. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. But at the end of the day, I think he just, um, he got a good opportunity here in Washington to show, uh, you know, his chops as both a play caller and, you know, the assistant head coach title is an important title. I mean, that's a, you know, that's a responsibility move that Washington, you know, they showed him a lot of love there. And they said that, you know, we want you to be more than just the coordinator. We want you to be helping out with everything that an offensive, I mean, that a assistant head coach can help out with. And I think he's ready for that role. I think it's basically a dress rehearsal for head coach, whether that's with Washington after Rivera leaves or, you know, with another team, or I do think that, up. or gets promoted, you know, I mean, I think that a lot of stuff uh, could go down there, but I think EB is well positioned for a future job. As and that coach. assistant coach job used to be Jack Del Rio's, by the way. Right. And now it's, now it's Eric, uh, Eric Bianchi's. My last question, now, and I know Phil's isn't that question. Is the, is the Kansas City Chiefs a coach centric organization? Does he run the show? Does he get the power with personnel selection or is that a GM driven down? So GM Brett Veach was an Andy Reid guy starting as a scout in Philadelphia. Okay, and, and so he was with him in Philly. He came to Kansas City as a scout. And then when um, uh, John Dorsey was the GM here, and I mean, that was over Andy Reid and made some decisions and, and they had solid teams. But uh, the draft of Patrick Mahomes, even though John Dorsey was technically the GM, that was Brett Veach banging down Andy Reid's door saying, you got to draft this guy. This is our guy. This is, you know, he was Brett Veach was kind of the, the Mahomes number one super fan in Arrowhead. And I think they rewarded him accordingly. I think when it worked out that well, they said, okay, you're right. You're right. You obviously know your stuff. We're going to go ahead and promote you to GM. Um, all that is to say that I do think Brett Veach makes a lot of good and smart decisions, but he's also so tight with Andy that it's hard to, Again, it's hard to separate them, and it's hard to say that anything that if if Veach gets a call that he's not going to say, hold on, let me talk to coach before I make this decision. I mean, that's just kind of the respect that they have. That's the way it goes. Um, I think Andy, I mean, Andy certainly has as big of an impact on that team as any one person. And uh, yeah, so so coach centric for sure. If I had to give it a designation of some kind, that's our blueprint. That's all yeah. I wanted to confirm. We're, yeah. we're, we are almost following the Andy Reid model, which sure. is a good model to follow. It's, it's a great model. It's worked out really well for us. It yeah. worked out really well for Philly. You know, I mean, yep. they got they got one Super Bowl appearance, but they went to tons of a NFC championship games. They won a ton of games. They kind of I feel like are kicking themselves for kicking him to the curb um, yeah. back in 12 when they did. But um, yeah, it's a good model. That's right. We, we, we were fine with them bringing in old Chip. Yes. Um, yeah, Chip <laughs> Kelly. That's right, man. And then Doug Peterson, but but uh here so let me, let me ask this question so um and obviously we just talked about the chiefs seem to be a very coach-centric organization we're a very coach-centric organization the enemy now has full reign and run of the offense 
He has control of the play calling. He has control over personnel matters. I mean, he's going to get that kind of control. Certainly a big say, even if he doesn't pull the final lever. He'll he'll be right in there in the room, yeah. What does he bring in that regard? Because I assume that he probably at least had some hand in this in Kansas City. I don't think he was just in there diagramming plays and handing it all to Andy for Andy to make the decisions. Right. But I think he had a, a greater hand. At least I would I would think so. You know, what does I he think, bring in that regard? I think this is one of those questions that, I mean, as much as we try and as much as the reporters dig and as much as everybody asks around about who's doing what, the Chiefs are just a hard nut to crack on that type of stuff. And they they tend to, to – right? I, I mean – Uh, Yeah, it is. It's kind of the Bill Belichick approach. Like, that's the one that I think when Andy looked at what was successful in New England, one of those approaches was we don't got to tell anybody anything that we don't have to tell them. And, you know, Andy's very um, quick to accept blame for things that, in my opinion, probably are not always his fault. Um, Anytime anything goes wrong, whether it was a personnel failure or a play failure or a game management failure, whatever it was always, always, always falls back to Andy. And then when there are successes, he's the first one to be saying, well, really, who the guy you got to thank is X or the guy you got to thank is Y. Like he's he's just very, that's just his model. And so when it comes to stuff like what did Eric Bieniemy do specifically, all we can rely on as the outside observers are what the players have said, what they've said in pressers, what they've kind of, what they've alluded to what's been going on. But obviously we're not, we're not in there. We don't know. So I know for sure that the players credit EB unprompted a lot, credited over the last 10 years. If if a concept would come along and a, and a player would be asked about it or like what happened on that play or, or something like that, you, you know, the number of times that they would say, yeah, I mean, Coach EB told us that that would be open or, or, or we knew going into this week, EB said this thing is going to be a this is going to be a slam dunk, like stuff like that. Con- little comments that they didn't have to say. They could have just said that was the play design, but they specifically called out EB on it. Um, I noticed that. I noticed that stuff over the years. And, you know, there was a ton of love that was given to Andy on on similar types of answers. But um, in general, I think that the Chiefs were proud of Eric Bieniemy. They were proud of his contributions to the team. They were proud of the things that worked that were that were had his fingerprints all over it. They were the ones that they wanted to tell you about it. They wanted to say like, yeah, this guy that nobody's been hiring, this guy's been drawing up dynamite plays for us for years. The guy that every every time he goes out to interview, he comes back to Kansas City. We're, we're happy to have him, but like we want him to go flourish and go be his own man and stuff like that. And and I mean, you saw that, I think, boil up over the last, I would say, two seasons. The first three years he was the offensive coordinator, I think the Chiefs were you know just very fortunate and lucky to have him. But then as they kind of realized, like, man – all these coaches are getting jobs other than him and and he's trying and he's talking to guys and it's just not working. I think you saw it in all of the interviews that um, everybody was rooting for him to, to go pick up a, a promotion somewhere. It seems like Andy Reid subscribes to a philosophy and um, I got the exact quote. This is a, a quote from Ronald Reagan. that says, there's no limit to the amount of good you can do if you don't care who gets the credit. Absolutely. That is, you know, a true leadership thing. And it's funny because we see a lot of that with Ron, too. Like, Mm -hmm. Ron is real quick to give credit to everyone else when things go well. It's not a me, me, me show, but 
you know, reporters try to get on Scott Turner and get on Martin Mayhew and get on about Carson Wentz and then get on Carson Wentz as well. And we watched him stand there and say, no, that was me. I did it. I had to, I was one who had the film. I'm the one who took the numbers to, to the GMs and and all this. And he got, it's a character thing. Like that's just, you know, if you, if you're a guy, of character, you're going to take bullets for guys because you know, you can, and you know that, you're going to be a better unit. You're going to be a better family because of it. I mean, that's clear as day in both those guys. Unless you're Ronald Reagan, then you just say Oliver North did it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair. Well, I, I'm curious to see what the odds of, of the commanders, you know, going to the Super Bowl were after the season ended and see if the line changed, flipped a little bit more now that we have Eric Bieniemy. Then after the we draft, get a new owner. I'm sure, and then we get a new owner might flip again, and then there's a draft might flip again. But sure. I, I got it. I'm going to go back and research and see if I can find out what the odds were. But speaking of odds, we're going to give you guys a, a quick tip on how you can get some money. Stay tuned. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk free bet up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more, plus same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props. Your betting options feel endless. Now that football's over, it's now on to the NBA and Major League Baseball. That's right. That's what I'm looking forward to. But best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TPPN. Tango Papa Papa November. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. And we're back. And if you're just joining us now, we are joined by Taylor Witt from It's Always in Ch- Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom podcast. He's been giving us his point of view and what life is like as a Chiefs fan winning the Super Bowl and, and, and with Eric Bieniemy as offensive coordinator. We have some really good dialogue so far and on um, what we think we can expect from Eric Bieniemy as our offensive coordinator. Uh, Phil, go ahead. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, I, I'm just, uh, just kind of following up on everything. I mean, I, I got a lot of info that both kind of confirms but it also it makes you feel better about the chemistry of the hire just because of the fact that it seems like the enemy is walking from a specific situation to a very similar situation just in terms of how the coaching staff and the front office operate um and and so forth now should be a good transition yeah it's a culture fit transition and and i don't think he would have gone somewhere that wasn't a culture fit i think you know he even though, you know, some would say he was desperate to get a job just based on all the interviews and stuff like he clearly knew his own value and knew that if he was going to leave the Chiefs, which was a great situation, that he was going to go somewhere that was a good fit for him culturally. And and certainly I think he found that in Washington. And our boy Oscar from YouTube joining us. Oscar Urbina says the conversation Terry McLaurin had with Bienemy is exactly what the commanders need. We had our show last week talking about this press conference. We did a full reaction. We played, we played the video and we kind of gave our thoughts. And my comments was like, I feel like Eric Bienemy 
is going to reunite this fan base because we've been kind of divided here for a while. If you look at all the nonsense we've been going through, um, Oscar also says, I feel like our Super Bowl is getting a new owner. DC should have a parade. Yes, but we have higher standards. That will just be a step off point to hopefully a winning football season. Of that would be some wins. Snyder era crap, right? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. That would be some Bruce Allen level crap right there because that's winning, winning off, off the field. field. It'll be a big step, though, but not a parade. Yeah. But uh, so, man, so your new offensive coordinator. Matt Nagy. Yep. Matt Nagy. Um, are they going to give him? Is he going just going to step in and just do the exact same things as the enemy? Or does this roll a little differently now? Well, great question. Um, he has a history with the Chiefs and, you know, was offensive coordinator here before he went to take the Bears job and then came back here last year and was a quarterback's coach. And, um, you know, I think a lot of the 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 problem, it's not really a problem, but the thing about coaches under Andy Reid is that it's still his show and rightfully should be. He's clearly shown that it should be his show, but and he calls all the plays, right? Well, so that's for the most part, that's the question. So we, we always, you know, he, he talks about calling plays, but then some games they'll get over with the game. And he was like, Oh yeah, EB took over the second half or like, or, yeah. or, you know, EB called that drive or something like that. So it's not always Andy, but it's not really clear when it's Andy and when it's not. And it, he doesn't always, it's not like he just takes over in all the big moments either. It's just kind of, I think maybe it might be like a matchup thing. Like if they, if they know the types of plays that they're calling, maybe one coach or the other is like more comfortable with that drive type. I don't know. I I honestly wish I knew, but um, you know, as far as responsibilities go, I think we're all still waiting to kind of see if anything will be different with Nags, see if he wants to run the ball more, run the ball less, do more screens, do more play action. You know, what kind of fingerprint does he have on the offense that, that, EB ran for the last five years. So um, I wish I knew, but until uh, we get out there, at least in the preseason, but probably not till the, the bullets are actually live. Uh, I don't think we'll know. And he got credit for that one play design where they brought the running back in motion from behind. And then the, it, was, it was supposed to get picked up by the Philadelphia safety. He didn't because they ran it in the previous game before. Right. Isn't that didn't Eric Bannemey get credit for that play so, design and, and, and pick up? Corn Dog is the name of the play, which is a very Andy <laughs> Reid uh, name. Was a Doug Peterson play with the Jags in that monsoon game they played against the Eagles earlier this year, where uh-huh. you've got a wide receiver out wide. He jet motions over, but instead of motioning all the way across the formation or getting a handoff, he just stops his motion and cuts back outside. He does a, a corner drag, which is how they got Corn Dog, and uh. the Eagles rock and roll that coverage. And instead of running a guy all the way in man, they pass off the coverage to whoever's over there to try and get, get him to the spot, beat him to the spot. And they beat him one time. The Jags ran it one time for a touchdown. And that was the only time anyone ran it against the Eagles this year and the chiefs coaching staff. And yes, EB was given a a lot of love for this, but I don't know if he actually installed it or if he was just the one that noticed it on film or, or how really the responsibilities broke. But I do know that um, that play got the Chiefs two wide-open touchdowns in the Super Bowl. I mean, it was as big of a coaching advantage between the Chiefs and the Eagles as there was all day on any matchup was that one play that they ran on two consecutive drives for two wide receivers in opposite ends of the field, both in out, both wide-open touchdowns. So, yeah, um, I do think EB had um, a lot of say in that. We could only hope for something like that. Marcus says, right now, Andy Reid is the best coach in the NFL. I, I concur. I'd argue. 
Can't argue. And Chris McDaniel, our boy Chris from YouTube, thanks for tuning in. Always supporting the show. Says, I'm just excited Scott is gone. EB couldn't EB couldn't be any worse than that. And I don't think he will. It, it, I think we, we succeeded a lot in spite of Scott Turner in a yeah. lot of the stuff. We, we had did. a situation where we had an offense that became functional because the backup quarterback was so limited, he actually managed to negate – our offensive coordinator's worst tendencies because he couldn't do the things that our offensive coordinator wanted, wanted to, do. to do. That sucked. Yeah, that's that's really good. I like that take a lot. That, yeah. That's exactly what it was. And like, it was so frustrating because people were like, oh, you are look, so bad. You're like an Taylor offensive coordinator. Like, no, we're winning because Taylor Heineke <laughs> is so limited. Yeah. Scott yeah. Turner can't do what he You're wants so to do. So bad. It defied all logic and math. <laughs> well, I do think coordinator better. I do think that the adaptability is EB's biggest strength, and I think that you'll see that. You'll see that whatever it is that Sam Howell can do well, that's what he's going to do. Yeah, and that we have been – you know, when Scott Turner got hired in his introductory press conference, not quite the spectacle as Eric Bieniemy's, he said that. He goes, my system will be, you know, the strength – we're going to tailor our, our offense to the Played strength of the show. players. And we had Dwayne Hassan at the time, yeah. and they did right, absolutely man. nothing – to tweak Taylor anything towards Dwayne Haskins. Fact, it was... Every quarterback that's been in our system has said, I've never played in a system like this. There's yeah. no audible. Unfamiliar. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. No and, audible. And that's Marcus says, what makes Andy Reid great is he lets his players and assistant coaches have input on the game plans, which is great. Yes. And we said this on the last two shows. So XFL is back upon us. We are yeah. big DC Defenders fans right. over here. Yep. And Jordan Tamu, he was on the Redskins, uh, the Washington football team practice squad in 20. Four also sheets. on the former chief and what he was did an interview here at local dc uh radio station and he said what he liked about eric Bieniemy was that for young players he helped when he was helping them to learn the playbook he would call the play first and the formation last that way through That's enough repetition the players will get the plays because plays are much easier to get and formations are harder, but they do enough of the play. They know by the time the play is over or being called, they know what the formation's gonna be. Like and if that's the creativity that Love we're that. gonna get, oh yeah. I mean that's die for that. That's that's coaching. That's what they you know, they should be there to make the players better at their job. That is the whole point. And it feels like not just you know, in Washington, but in a lot of struggling NFL teams that they don't understand. Nice. There you go, Oscar. Defenders. There you go, Oscar. Defenders. Defenders. Yeah, yeah. yeah, coaches around the league just don't seem to get that, you know, if you don't have the guys to do the plays that you're trying to do, don't do those plays. Do the plays that those guys can actually execute and teach them. And it just doesn't seem like that happens a lot. I was oh, a uh, St. Louis Battlehawks guy, so. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I guess there's no team out. Is that no. the closest team out there? Uh, yeah. St. Yeah. Louis. Okay. Yeah, and I'm That's not. Okay, oh, hey, so you're City familiar with fan, our you're but... familiar with our soon to be former backup quarterback. I am. He, he was your backup quarterback in St. Louis, <laughs> yep. but he backed always up Jordan. Ta- he backed up Jordan. <laughs> Taylor Heineke was Jordan Tamu's backup quarterback. Right, not the other way around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. And then mm-hmm. come 2020, Taylor running out of left field, you know. And, and now Jordan his... Tiamu is is quarterback <laughs> of the defenders. You can't, you can't yeah. get a jersey either way, so. No. Right, right. Taylor, I got to ask you this, man. Uh, it's it's a little bit – it's outside the Eric Bannaby question, but it's – you know, we dealt with a lot of nonsense here in D.C., and we've had a rebrand. We are no longer the Redskins. And yeah. do you guys still catch flack out there for being sure. the Chiefs and the Chop and th- – what? What is the what is the experience like out there? 
for, for stuff like that. I don't think um, we get as much as I mean, certainly not as much as you guys did. Certainly not as much as the Cleveland Indians, but we're kind of right there in that next tier below, where like right. the iconography of using Native American culture and arrowhead and and the chop and the you know the headdress and all that stuff that's certainly something that as time's moving forward it's becoming less and less kosher that's just that's just how it's going and i mean i think that kansas city fans especially after seeing the rebrand of the guardians and the commanders are understanding of like you know if this does come down the pipe and if something does break someday and and ownership decides to make a change or something like that. Like, I think everyone here seems pretty receptive of the idea. Now, maybe not, I I shouldn't say everyone, but certainly a a good number of people would be receptive on a rebrand. As far as like actually getting flack for it, um, I don't really see it come up a ton, maybe a little bit online with uh, every now and then, but um, I wanted to be named the Washington Fast Blacks, but nobody. uh... Fast Blacks. Amazing. (laughs) Nobody wanted to. Nobody was into that. Uh, that would have that would have sold. You would have sold some jerseys for sure. Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> you get uh, the team talks to tribe local tribes and kind of gets their point of view of like like basically they're asking them like how offended are you about this? Like is this like a two out of ten or is this like a nine out of ten? You know, like where are we at the scale? And most of the time, the team puts out responses that talk about you know like oh well the, the tribes understand that the chief was actually mayor of Kansas city was nicknamed the chief. And so the Kansas city chiefs was not started as like an, an Indian chief. It was started as the chief, like mayor or something, but they leaned into the, the whole, you know, uh, that, the whole that scene sounds like hard. what these Southerners down here where I'm from say to keep the rebel flags up. You know, that certainly does. <laughs> certainly <laughs> does. sound it's similar. Heritage. Yeah. Like, what? yeah, that's right. Yep. Yep. Can't, can't remove <laughs> history and all that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll say this too. I mean, ours was, in uh named after a native american player that we had on the team right I didn't know it, that. They, yeah that's where the, orig- the original name came from now it was originally the braves boston braves sure, sure. Boston, boston braves, braves. Right, right but they were playing in fenway where the red sox played and the boston braves were the crosstown uh rival right so they said well we can't we can't have you being the braves playing in our stadium you're going to, mm-hmm. to play in their stadium. So instead of doing that, they change it to Redskins. Now, there's I'm not going to get into all of it, but there's there's some, sure. there's a guy at Hogshaven who did the entire history on the word, and it really does kind of shoot a lot of the arguments in the foot about the name. But the name's gone. You're not going to get never going to get it back. Well, and you the, can't give the history to everybody. All you can do is you know the casuals can just look at the name and say Redskins. They're talking about the color of their that, skin. That, that sounds racist. You know, I mean, it, it does sound racist. Twenty years out of two hundred, yeah, yeah. you can make yeah, that definitely. claim. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, you but, can't really just call a league full of black guys the Negro leagues anymore. No, you know what I'm saying. I mean, I get it. Doesn't fly. It, you know, yeah, doesn't you fly can. like I used to. That's right. <laughs> I was at the grocery <laughs> store one day, and this guy was like, "You're such a handsome colored person." I'm like, "Huh? It's 2023." Unlike other people, I've actually been a little bit more embracing of commanders because all the finalist names were bad. Yeah, they were. But this is the one. This is the one I looked at. and I'm like, I can. Red Wolves. Red Wolves. I never. I never thought Redskins was hard. You know what a slur is? Cowboys. That's a slur. Ah, I got him. So we talked about this pre-show, but I hate the Cowboys more than probably any Chiefs fan I know. Yes. Got to get the dig in. They suck. Their fans suck. the The team acts like they have you know been 
the, the, the coolest things in sliced bread. And he never to- once paid for drugs, not even once. Not even <laughs> once. Exactly right. No, they are they're the absolute worst. Real quick story. I was in Vegas and had to hit a parlay to win a bunch of money. And the last game was Chiefs Cowboys. And this was Alex Smith and the he threw a we call it the Hill Mary. He called it threw a play to Tyreek Hill. At, half, at 50 yard line, he ran around a bunch of Cowboys and scored. But I was watching with one Cowboys guy at the sports book. And when the Cowboys won, he was dancing around and Sundays are for the boys. And I lost a bunch no, of money. And gosh. literally from that moment on, I mean, I've never hated a fan base more. Not even the, the Chiefs rival fan bases. I am as anti Cowboys as they can get. So, I don't know. You haven't met some of these University of Kentucky <laughs> fans, man. They, oh, I have. I'm a KU basketball man, fan. So I mess with Kentucky oh, fans all KU. the time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. As a, Louis, as a Louisville guy, it's rough yeah. around here, man. Ooh, Louisville. Man, what has happened right. to them this year? Yeah, we, won the last, we won the championship out of this place last, the last time I looked. So. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Uh, closing this down, uh, Taylor, one more question for What's you. Um, I don't know how much you know about Sam Howell and his time at UNC and his kind of, his kind of playing style. He, you know, he came out in 20, you know, this year, mm-hmm. but he was going to come out in 2021 and people had him pegged to be a first round talent easily. And then mm-hmm. he loses his line. He loses his weapons and he has not a bad year, but he has a less of a good year than prior. And then stock he dropped, sudden, right. stock right. dropped to the fifth round and we picked him up. So mm-hmm. he's very mobile. He's mm-hmm. got some wheels. He has a great arm, I guess. My question is if Eric Bienemy, like Marcus saying, Eric Bienemy has been scouted him before. He, he's kind of familiar with him. And when he did introduce himself to Sam, he goes, I feel like I already know you. Right. You know, so I guess right. he's been watching him. I watched a lot of my homes at Texas Tech. And it, it, I'm not saying Sam Al has those tendencies, but they kind of, it, I say, Patrick Mahomes plays a little more on the edge and like a controlled chaos. And it's just beautiful to watch. Yeah. But, Sam Howe can run. He can make the he can make the the throws on the move. He can't do the improvising like Sam like uh, Patrick Mahomes. But with someone with the mobility and the arm of Sam Howe, do you think we got a shot to to see something special or at least something? So I think first of all, no, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. The answer, the short answer is yes. But um, the prototype in the NFL these days is a running big armed quarterback that is, you know, somebody that can make all the throws, but can also escape pressure when they need to. That is, I mean, Lamar for sure. Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, Joe Burrow, these guys, these guys can scoot when they need to, but they're, you know, they're also extremely deadly with their arm that you basically need both aspects of it. Tom Brady just doesn't really work these days anymore. Peyton Manning, that, that pure pocket passer, the, edge rushers are too good. And, you know, there are going to be times that those pocket passers need to escape. And so I do think that you're starting from a baseline of like, you almost have to have the Sam Howell skill set to even become competitive in the NFL. You really can't be less than him and be a competitive quarterback. And so far, just from, just from the the tape and, and the types of things that Sam Howell's put out there, he looks like he's capable of being a successful starting quarterback in the NFL, which is a high bar. I mean, that's a, that's a really hard thing to do. There's about 10 of them really like there's, right. there, it's a, it's a short list. And, you know, I think that you have to have the right coaching and you have to have some skill players and you don't have to have a, a all pros all over the place, but you've got to have a guy or two, which certainly in Terry, he's got that, can bail you out of tough situations and you've got to have coaches that are not afraid to dial up some stuff and, and design some stuff. And I think 
he's got the recipe to succeed and and he's got the backs he's got you know two backs that if he wants to run a screen game which Andy Reid is famous for his screen game and if EB wants to go in there and say you know what we're going to do we're going to get these big hulks out in, out in space and we're going to throw them the ball and we're going to let them run over you and I mean I think Sam Howell is perfectly capable of running that type of offense and then if the defenses cheat up and they start you know over playing the running backs he can knock you out deep so um yeah, I think he's got the tools. I, I'd love to see him succeed because I think that, um, you know, first of all, Washington and the Chiefs have no bad blood. And second of all, EB's there and everything. So, I mean, I think everyone in the kingdom has nothing but um, hope that the commanders are going to go out there and put up a bunch of points. I think it'd be fun. I will say this. Um, I know you brought up Terry a lot. And I, I love Terry. And I think he's he's definitely earned, earned the money he's got. And I think his best years are still ahead of him. But it's funny because there's a lot in our fan base who think that Jahan Dotson this year will be better. Yeah, I wanted the Chiefs to draft him really bad. Um, Love. Thank you. No one, no one in this fan base, anywhere at the time of the draft, like who is this guy? Oh, I love. Oh my God, we got Dotson. Well, he's got such pop. I mean, he would. I I watched some tape where you know he would scoot around some guys and take off, and I was like, who was that kid? I mean, he just he stands out and. And I, he had a great year last year, obviously was banged up. Um, but I think that the flashes that he showed were wide receiver one in the NFL. I mean, he really yeah, he me, showed a high ceiling. He's this generation Santana Moss. Oh, he's got good. a lot of the exact same. That's good. He's got similar measurables. He's got the same skill set. Mm-hmm. Real shifty, Wiggle. real agile. And, mm-hmm. will, and for a guy who's sub six foot, will go up and attack the ball. Yeah. Got a vertical air. on him. And I mean, absolutely. Yeah. See, yeah. see, see. I told y'all. I told y'all. Yeah. I wasn't he, the only one who was high on Dotson. I was real high on Jahan. I was. I was yeah. upset that uh, that didn't work out for the Chiefs because he's a dude. Still wanted Kyle Hamilton. I'm glad we got sure. Jahan Dotson. Sure. But I, sure. We, we wanted the next Sean Taylor, and you know, Kyle Hamilton went to the Ravens. Was it too, Derek too Uh huh. We do. We do. We do. We do. He ended up okay at the end of the year, Al Hamilton. Yeah, he did okay. Hey Taylor. Thank you so much for joining us, man. This was this was fantastic. Always great talking ball with other players, uh, excuse me, other fans from other teams, especially when they're educated. You know your stuff, man. I got to give hats off to you. Thank you so much. And, it was um, a pleasure. Absolutely. Uh, I'm rooting for you guys. I'm rooting for EB. And uh, please, if you do nothing else, beat the Cowboys twice next year. Oh, we can only hope so. So tell everyone where we can find you, where we can find Austin and, 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 and your podcast. It's, it's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom. And so any podcast app, type that in, just like the name. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but sub in Chiefs Kingdom. And uh, we are at also It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom.com. Twitter, uh, he's Real Bird Lawyer after uh, Charlie from Always Sunny. And I am Taylor underscore Wit, W I T T, on Twitter. Fantastic. And Marcus says, Everyone be blessed. Good night. Thank you for everyone in the chat that joined us. Marcus, Oscar, uh, Cody, Marcus, Marcus, Marcus Greg, Christopher McDaniel. Thanks, Christopher McDaniel. Thanks for popping in, everyone. Uh, and Taylor, thank you once again, man. If you ever want to collaborate, we're always here for you. Uh, like I said, I think Phil and I, the Chiefs are kind of our, the Chiefs are kind of like our, our, our side piece growing up. Uh, <laughs> lots of good memories with the Chiefs and Christian Okoye and his big old white neck brace he used to wear. Yeah, I appreciate the guys ball. like Kimball Anders, man. Yeah. I like, I like the secondary Kimble guys the Chiefs had. Those are the ones I really rooted for. Yep. Uh, Chris says Amanda Blackhorse is coming after the Chiefs to watch out. I don't know who that is. I don't either. 
Uh, I will. She, uh, I'll watch I wonder out. if she's an activist. She might be. Oh, uh, sounds like oh. an activist. Oh man, she probably was heavily involved with the Redskin stuff. Yeah, probably. I mean, you know. <laughs> I feel like if your last name is a Black Horse and you're not on Pornhub, <laughs> then you wasted that name, bro. And what are you doing? It. I love it. What a waste! What a waste! <laughs> yeah, like I don't know what, what kind of Indian are you? No. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're going to close this one down here. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Thank you to Taylor, and thank you to It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom podcast. Make sure you go check them out on all of your audio podcast platforms. They're the reigning Super Bowl champs. We all, you know, we just want to be like you guys. And and I think if Ron Rivera keeps following the Andy Reid model and making it his own, we got it. We got a shot. We got a shot. So, Thank you for tuning in, everyone. If you're catching us on the replay, please go like and subscribe. Share with everyone. Make sure you go follow uh, Taylor and his, his podcast crew, him and Austin. Um, and we'll catch you guys on the next time on Thursday. Uh, maybe, maybe not. We'll let you guys know. Um, but stay tuned. As always, peace and hail. We're out.